This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Chris Brooks here, and I want to thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Did you know that we are funded by the generosity of listeners just like you? Would you help us finish this month strong? Just call 888-644-4144 or give at equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled that you've joined me today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, you can almost smell the turkey. You can almost taste the dressing. Thanksgiving is right around the corner. And boy, what a great time of year it is. I know there's a lot going on in our world that can be heartbreaking. And quite honestly, those things merit our attention But there's also time and space where the scriptures command that you and I give thanks. And I think it's biblical that we do so. And so regardless of uh, some of the disputes and historicity around Thanksgiving as a day, I do believe in Thanksgiving as a lifestyle. And hopefully you do as well. Hopefully you will set aside uh, a day this week to be able to give thanks, to gather together with uh, with uh, family and to give uh, the Lord uh, expressions of gratitude for all that he's done for our nation, for all that he's done in your life personally, and a prayer that the grace of God's goodness would spread throughout your community as well. And boy, am I so excited about what God is doing in and through this program. As a matter of fact, this month has been especially awesome because we've gotten a chance to feature a really important resource. The resource is entitled The Four Habits of Joy-Filled People. The Four Habits of Joy-Filled People. And it really just helps to remind me and you of the fact that God has called us to be people of joy, that you and I are called to be people of joy. And I want you to experience that joy. Now, in order to experience that joy, we need to understand brain science. We also need to understand what the scripture has to say. So what's really awesome about this book is that it looks at both brain science and what you and I have been taught from the scriptures and pulls it together so that we can experience the joy of Jesus. In order to get your copy of The Four Habits of Joy-Filled People, all you have to do is support the program in any amount. Simply dial 888-644-4144. Today, I'm going to be sharing a message that I got a chance to preach at Founders Week this year at uh, Moody Bible Institute. It really focuses in on how to have a resilient faith. I want you to grab your Bibles, open to 1 Kings chapter 19, and I hope that you're blessed. I believe that what God wants to do in our hearts is to build a resiliency. 
the type of resiliency that is going to be needed if we're going to be faithful servants of God, if we're going to be able to have a testimony not only of starting for Jesus, but continuing in Christ and finishing well, we're going to have to have resiliency. I define resiliency as just the ability to go from setback to bounce back. There will be setbacks in your life. There will be setbacks in your ministry. And I know in our Western culture, we don't like to talk about that. We assume that life is like that blue, blue chip stock chart that's always up and to the right. But the fact of the matter is anyone who's walked with God knows that there are dark seasons of the soul. I believe that one of the things that God wants to do tonight is help us to understand how his call on our lives defeats discouragement. How his call on our lives can free us from the prison of self-pity. And tonight I want to look at a sweet passage of scripture. We're just going to visit one, one moment, one vignette, if you will, out of um, the life of a great Old Testament figure that will help us to understand how God conquers discouragement in our lives. But in the midst of the preparation for this moment, it's been a deep season of discouragement for my own soul. It was about four weeks ago that a mentor, friend, one of my first theology profs here in Moody, went on to be with the Lord, Dr. John Jeleni. John was not just a prof. He wasn't one of those types of people that would give you flowery words from a distance when you were in a foxhole. He was the type of guy that would roll up his sleeves and get in the foxhole with you. He was a man that I had as a prof and then later as, a, as an employer, a boss, and later when I took on the role and capacity, my current pastorate, I, I called him and I said, John, I need your help. And he came and worked alongside of me. Our relationship spanned a couple of decades. John, at the age of 63, unexpectedly was diagnosed with brain cancer. It wasn't a part of the plan. I'm sure for his wife, Linda, it wasn't a part of the plan. Certainly, as we planned out ministry goals together, it wasn't part of the plan. And our church did what every church would do. We rallied. We prayed. We cried out to God. John prayed a little bit differently than we did. You see, we all have a tendency to want to hold on tightly to people and not to let them go. But John prayed this strange and unusual prayer. Lord, glorify yourself in me, even at my expense. And the Lord did do that. I pray that you and I would mature to the place where we can pray such prayers. God glorified himself over that year's span through John all the way to the very last moment. He proved to us that you can suffer well for Jesus. That you even in pain and in suffering can glorify God. And it was a, a heavy day when when we buried him, though, our hearts rejoiced that he was now with the Savior that he loved. And if that wasn't enough, there was a succession of deaths after that. 
In four weeks, I did four funerals, four men who meant a tremendous amount to me, one heaviness after another. You see, we live in a fallen world, and so often death is seemingly all around us. I say that not to at all arouse or engender your sympathy because I know God's faithfulness. I know his keeping power. I got a testimony of God sustaining me through previous years and moments and seasons of challenge, and I know he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But I bring it up because I'm convinced that there is somebody in here that needs to know that you are not alone. You are not alone in your season of discouragement. That's one of the lies of the enemy. It was the great evangelist Billy Graham who once said, I have known many seasons of discouragement. There have been many nights that I have gone to God in tears. Here's a man who preached to an estimated 100 million people before he died. Some would argue the greatest evangelistic ministry of anyone in church history. You can debate that, but what is true is an estimated 4 million people came to faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of this man. But yet in spite of all of that, in spite of all of the ministry accomplishments, accolades, and success, couldn't shield him from seasons of discouragement. You know, as leaders, we don't often talk this way. We often know how to play the part or put on the mask or paint ourselves as always victorious and never challenged and never weeping. I love that Billy Graham said, there's been many nights. Tears have filled my eyes as I've gone before the Lord. Not all seasons of discouragement are the same. Some seasons of discouragement are like what I would call simple seasons of discouragement. Like when I was a young boy, my first love in sports was baseball. I remember making the Little League baseball team from my hometown of Taylor, Michigan, my small hometown, and I had a really good year, so good that I made the all-star team. I was feeling myself. A couple of home runs that year, playing shortstop, it was great. Made it to the all-star game, had three at-bats to prove myself, and I struck out. Not once, not twice, but you guessed it, three times. And I remember being so discouraged that after the game, my little league coach wanted to take the kids out to Pizza Hut to celebrate the success of the season. And I told my mom, I want no parts of it. I'm not going. Can you imagine being that discouraged as a kid that you don't even go to Pizza Hut? That's how discouraged I was. I wish I could tell you that all seasons of discouragement were simple. I don't even think that lingered for 24 hours. There are other seasons of discouragement, what I would call deep discouragement, like in 2019 for me, when I experienced for the first time what I can only describe as church hurt. So wounded by a deep betrayal that for the first time in my ministry, I began to question my calling, question whether or not I wanted to remain in the fellowship. I didn't so much question God, but I certainly began to question his goodness towards me. After that, I remember a, a house flood 
me and my wife had just moved into a new place and the little holes in the bathroom on the third floor came loose and we were out of town. And by the time we got back, that little accident had ruined the entire house as water flooded first, second, and third floor, a place that needed to be gutted and totally repaired. And it wasn't so much the individual act, but, but there are certain times when, when challenges accumulate and uh, compile and it's death by a thousand cuts and things begin to stack in your life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Then on March 4th, 2019, I'll never forget, riding to a retreat to meet with my leadership team. My cell phone rang, and it wasn't a number I recognized, but I answered, which I typically don't do. And on the other side of that call was a police officer. He introduced himself. I honestly don't remember his name. But he says, is this Chris Brooks? And I say, yes, who's this? He announced himself. He says, I regret to inform you that today we found your son's body dead in an abandoned building in the city of Detroit. He was on the way to work as a school teacher. I don't know how I made it home that day, but it was God's grace. You ever have one of those moments where you can't remember the last 20 miles, but somehow you got to your destination and the Lord was merciful. I bring this up again, not to engender or evoke your sympathy, but to say to somebody in here tonight that you are not alone. That God sees you and that every single one of us who know what it's like to try to serve God in a fallen world, we'll face our own devastations and seasons of discouragement, but God is faithful. Let me say that again. God is faithful. And there's somebody in here with a testimony that can tell you that God is faithful even in the midst of our discouraging moments. When discouragement comes, I tend to find myself tempted to isolate, prone to withdraw. When discouragement comes in my life, I find myself feeling the encroaching press of self-pity. That when self-pity rules the day, when we give in to the lies of despair, when we begin to question God's goodness and his faithfulness, his calling, which was once so clear and so pronounced in our lives, becomes a question mark. When that happens, when we become more centered upon ourselves and our suffering than on the sovereignty of our faithful God, then it robs us of the ability to do of anything of great value for the Lord in this world. Hey there, folks. We're going to pause the message for just a moment. I hope you are being blessed. you got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to pick up the message, and I believe you're going to be blessed. Stick and stay. We'll be right back with more of Equipped right after this. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. I love, love, love opening the Word of God with you, and that's what we're doing today. Before we go back into the message on how to have a resilient faith, 
I do want to encourage you, if you could stand with us this week, it would be much appreciated as we quickly come to the end of another month. We find ourselves in need of your partnership and support. So if you can stand with us with a gift of $50 or $100 or more, simply dial 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Why don't you grab your Bibles? Let's go back into the message. First Kings chapter 19, having a resilient faith. When Elijah is introduced to us in the pages of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 17, he is introduced as a spiritual giant. This man did no less than seven miracles across chapter 17 and chapter 18. When we get to chapter 18, maybe we see the apex of his spiritual journey in which he stands toe-to-toe, eye-to-eye, neck-to-neck, with 450 false prophets of Baal, these false prophets who worked at the behest of this wicked king and his even wickeder wife, Ahab and Jezebel. And this showdown happens between Baal and God, and two altars are built, and, and Elijah says, you call upon Baal and see if he will send down fire, and then I'll call upon Yahweh. And the prophets of Baal, they do it for hours. They scream, they cry out, they beat themselves, but Baal doesn't move. They cry out so long and so loudly that eventually Elijah begins to mock them. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's gone on vacation and taken a trip. Maybe he's in the bathroom. But keep crying out, I'm sure he'll move. But Baal never moved. And then it was Elijah's turn, and you know the story. He ups the ante. He douses the altar with water again and again. Then he prays, but not like the false prophets. He doesn't scream. He doesn't raise his voice. He just humbly and boldly prays, God of Israel, show your glory today to your people. And fire rains from heaven, and it laps up the water, and it consumes the altar. And then the prophet of God was given an assignment, one that Old Testament prophets were responsible to do at times that we don't have the burden of, and that was to kill all 450 of those prophets. Imagine being that man, and if all we had was chapter 17 and 18 of 1 Kings, we would say, I cannot relate. That is why I'm glad that chapter 19 is included. Because in chapter 19, we see a different day for Elijah. We see a moment of deep discouragement. Listen to these words, verse number one. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She was clear. She didn't miss words. I'm going to kill you, Elijah, just like you killed those prophets. Now, how would you respond if God had stopped the rain when you prayed? How would you expect to respond if God had raised the dead after you cried out to him? 
Or if you had seen God move in a miraculous way and send fire from heaven, and now this wicked queen issues out this threat, how would you expect Elijah to respond? Maybe in bravery, maybe in boldness, maybe in courage, but not so, not on this day. Verse number three, then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. Some of your translations may say a juniper tree. It's the same. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There's so much here that I almost feel like apologizing because we won't be able to plummet the depths of the truth that is here, but there is some clear things that I believe will nourish our souls, maybe like this food for the next 40 days and 40 nights. The first thing that's here that I want you to make sure you don't miss, and it's easy to miss, is the fact that supernatural experiences do not guarantee that we will be delivered from discouragement in and of themselves. And somebody needs to hear that because there are some that are in here that might be tempted to think that I, if I had seen the rain not come for three and a half years, surely I would not be discouraged. Surely if I had seen the dead raised, I would not be discouraged. Surely if I had seen the prophets uh, defeated and fire coming from heaven, I would not be given to self-pity. Surely if I seen revival in my community and people coming to Christ in my family, if I saw my kids go through some radical repentance, I wouldn't be given to discouragement. God, all I need is to see something miraculous. But Elijah's life tells us a different story. But you can see all of those things, but our spiritual lives cannot be built off of one adrenaline rush after another. As important as conferences are, you better have something that sustains you from one founder's week to another. You better have a relationship with his word, communion with his spirit, so that you might know a God who gives you strength and encouragement in between miraculous moments. Miracles do happen, but they don't happen every day by definition, or they would not be miracles. The fact of the matter is much, uh, much of your days will be spent in between these inflection points of your spiritual life. But if you have your feet grounded in the Word of God, if you know but it is to commune with the Lord day by day, night by night, then you will be sustained even when the discouragement comes. 
Elijah ran. We didn't expect that. That was a plot twist, if you will. He runs for his life, and he runs to the Mount of God in Horeb. This is no small trip. This is at one of the southernmost tips of Israel. He is about 95 miles away from Jezreel where he started. But I want you to see something that's almost like a throwaway statement, but it is so important to the story. And that is in verse number three, that after he ran for his life, he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. Don't miss that. He had a friend for the journey. We don't know a servant's name. We don't know the history of their relationship. But what we do know is that Elijah was not running alone. That for much of the journey, he had companionship. My friends, if you are going to survive seasons of discouragement, you better begin to pray now for friendship. You know, it's interesting, this radio program, that every day I get a chance to talk to authors and thought leaders, and it's been something that I've noticed that over the past year, kind of this wave of books that have begun to be written about friendship making. And it dawned on me that we have maybe reached an epidemic level in our inability to make friends. That if the studies are right, the vast majority of people that are in this room are living deeply isolated lives. And here we are as pastors standing before you week after week talking about evangelism and discipleship, and most of the people in our churches don't even know how to say hello to their neighbors. Don't know how to break bread or have lunch with someone. Has no one to check on your soul. No friend to run with you when you feel like your life is threatened, your calling is threatened, your family is threatened, your children are threatened. I don't know how the enemy has threatened you, but I do know this, that if you're going to survive, you better have a friend for the journey. Hey friends, I hope that word is encouraging you. We're going to pause the message right there but just for a moment. We'll be right back with more Unequipped right after this. Do you long for joy that supersedes your circumstances? Did you know that some of the most joyful people have endured unbelievable trauma? Because living joyfully is all about the habits we create in our daily lives. That's why I want to send you the four habits of joy-filled people by Dr. Marcus Warner and Chris Corsi. They combine spiritual truth with proven brain science to guide us into joyful living. This life-changing book can be yours with a gift of any amount to equip. Simply call 888-644-4144 or visit equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Super grateful for you joining us today. It's such a special week. I think one of the ways that we can change our culture is by having an attitude of gratitude in an age of outrage where so much is focusing on what's gone wrong. Imagine us shining brightly the light of Christ as we celebrate all the good and gracious things that the Lord has done for us. So let's do that this Thanksgiving week. Also, I'm asking for you to consider supporting the program. It's an all hands on deck moment. Your financial support will help us to finish a year strong and more importantly, help to spread the gospel in your community. If Equip has been a blessing to you, can you stand with a gift of $50 or $100 or more? The phone number 888 888- 
888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144, equipradio.org. Today, we're talking about how to have a resilient faith. It's a message I preached at Founders Week. I hope you're blessed. We need to make friends, but we also need to understand the limitations of friendships. Because verse number four tells us that while he dropped his friend off there in Bathsheba, he didn't stop there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He went another day further after his friend. What this tells me is though companionship is important, there are limitations to it. Even the best of friends can't go with you all the way. Don't be too hard on people when they can't go with you all the way. Don't be too disappointed in your closest friends if they can't run with you through every trial that you face. There are certain moments, and this may be a newsflash for some, there are certain moments that God wants it to be just you and him. And this was a a God and Elijah moment. You see, when God calls you, he didn't convene a committee. He didn't host a conference call when he calls you. He didn't take a vote. He spoke over your life, and there are times when you're questioning your calling where it needs to just be you and an audience of one. So here he is, and he is exhausted. And what does God say in his moment of deep discouragement? The Lord could have rebuked him, but I want you to see the tenderness of God. God says to the man of God, as he says to us so often, rest, sleep, eat. It may not sound too spiritual, but some of you today are flirting with burnout because you have bought into the work harder, do more, try harder mindset that so often leads us into burnout. The next two minutes of my message are not for those of you who are prone to laziness. This isn't for you. But for those of us who find that our temptation is that we are going to work ourselves into exhaustion, just know this, that if you don't know how to Sabbath, if you don't know how to rest, you will give in to deep discouragement. And what I have seen, this is purely anecdotal, but I believe it to be true, what I have seen in my ministry is when we have worked ourselves into prolonged exhaustion, one of two things will happen, if not both. You will either either have a moral breakdown or a physical breakdown. And I've seen that in far too many lives because people didn't know how to do what God told Elijah to do. Maybe God's word for you tonight is rest. Slow down, for the journey is too great for you. Elijah was so weary, so exhausted from all of these spiritual battles and encounters and all of this running hard for God that even after he rested and tried to get up, the angel of the Lord came back to him a second time and said, rest again. For some of you, it's just time to take a break. And then... Some of the sweetest words in all of Scripture are written. Verse number six, and there was at his head 
a cake. I love that verse. One of my favorite verses in Scripture. You got your life verse and I got my life verse. God, if I get discouraged, hook me up with a cake. There's very few things that chocolate cake can't fix. That's just, that's just my, that's my own exegetical issues. You got to pray for me, but I just love that he gave, he hooked him up with a cake, just like God. The journey is too great for you if you're doing it right. If you're doing ministry right, it's too much for you, it's too big for you. If you're serving God right, then your calling is too much for you. It requires dependency upon God. Now some of us, when faced with this dilemma, instead of depending upon God, prefer to shrink our calling to fit our own human abilities and skill set. That's not God-honoring. Give yourself to a calling that's too big for you, and then admit that it's too big for you, and learn how to rest in Him. Hey folks, I hope you're being blessed by this message. I'm gonna pause it for just a moment, but I hope that you are growing and being encouraged. Listen, we're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, we're gonna get right back into the Word of God, so don't you change that down. That's yet to come next up on Equip. This daily program is fully devoted to coming alongside listeners like you to give you the tools needed for a successful walk with God. As one of our loyal listeners, would you be willing to become an equipper? Your monthly contribution will be applied to equipping others all across the country. Plus, as an equipper, I'll send you regular emails that contain brief pastoral messages prepared just for you. To become an equipper now, call 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Man, what a great segment of the story of the life of a great prophet, Elijah. Uh, an awesome figure, so much so that it's easy for us to think that, man, I can't relate to him. That's exactly why I'm thankful to the Lord that 1 Kings chapter 19 is included in his biography. Elijah, as the book of James says, is a man with a nature just like ours. Elijah was just like us. He certainly had his great days, his mountaintop moments, but he had his struggles as well. And maybe as you listen to this message, you can identify. But understand this, trouble does not last always. God is gracious. He is with us. And I want you to see how he ministers to us, even in our difficulty. So grab your Bibles. Let's go back into 1 Kings 19. In verse number 9, it says, He came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it. Now we know why he was discouraged. It was a mystery through the first eight verses, but it becomes clear as we get to verse number 10. He was discouraged because he did not see the ministry fruit that he thought he should see. After all of the preaching I've done for you, God, after standing in such fierce spiritual battles, after obeying you and doing my best to surrender my life to you, I thought by now I'd see more conversions. I thought surely by now I'd see more spiritual movement. I thought by now the community would be changed, the, the leaders would be changed, my, my family would be changed. What do you do when you, you're not seeing the ministry fruit that you, you thought you should see? And this is the problem of the day and age we live in is because We've been sold a bill of goods that life is just some straight shot upward. And then the advent of social media. You go on Instagram and everybody's succeeding on Instagram. Everybody's happy and beautiful. Every day is rainbows and roses. But the fact of the matter is that's just not true. There are many days when you will labor in obscurity for Jesus. The fact of the matter is maybe the greatest courage you will be required to demonstrate in your life is to be uh, faithful in the face of the mundane. To be faithful when the movement isn't moving much. Here he is after all of his ministry efforts and the king is just as wicked. The queen is just as vile. Israel had just saw God demonstrate himself in front of the prophets of Baal beyond a shadow of a doubt, and they still were hard-hearted, and they still did not repent. And God, I just want to die, and I don't feel like going on. And then this strange event occurs, so counterintuitive, a wind blows, Rocks break, but God was not in the wind. The earth begins to shake, but God was not in the earthquake. Fire comes, but God is not in the fire. Then this whisper, and I've heard this whisper preached on by many of preachers so often erroneously. Some type of new age spirituality, they talk of this inner still small voice that you have to get in tune with so that you can hear God because God is just in whispers. As if God is not in winds and earthquakes and fires. My friends, you ask Ezekiel, is God in winds? 
And in Ezekiel 37, he will say, yes, he is in winds. When he breathes, dead bones come together and live again. You ask Paul and Silas if he is in earthquakes, and they will tell you in Acts chapter 16, when he shakes the earth, prison doors open and revival comes. You, you ask Moses if God is in fires, and he will tell you about a bush that burns but is not consumed. So holy was the ground that he took off his sandals. God is in winds. He is in earthquakes. He is in fires, but not this time. And why not this time? I believe it's for two reasons. First, because the man of God who questioned his calling and didn't want to live anymore needed not earthquakes or fires or God who thunders and roars, but he needed the loving whisper of the heavenly father who says, come now. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. There will be times when you will fail, and you will disappoint even yourself. But in those times, a God who knew you before he saved you will whisper to you. He does not just thunder. He knows how to whisper. And what does he whisper? Elijah what are you doing here? Maybe tonight he's whispering that to you. What are you doing here? This is not you. This isn't your character. This isn't how you're supposed to live as a Christian. What are you watching? What are you listening to? Why are you in that relationship? What are you doing here? But I believe there is a second reason why this man needed to hear a whisper. It's because the source of his discouragement is that he did not see much ministry fruit. And so he thought because he did not see much ministry fruit that that meant God was not moving. And sometimes you won't see fires and winds and earthquakes in your ministry or in your life. But that does not mean that God is not moving. What Elijah had to learn how to appreciate is when God is whispering. And if you're not going to be consumed by discouragement, you're going to have to learn how to celebrate whispers. Maybe your husband has not decided to become a pastor yet, but at least he is allowing you to go to church. Celebrate the whisper. Maybe your kid has not had some radical moment of repentance yet. But at least they're still talking to you. Celebrate the whisper. Maybe there's not a whole lot of people coming to your church. But at least there's a faithful few. Celebrate the whisper. We got to learn how to celebrate not just winds and earthquakes and fires. We got to learn how to celebrate whispers. God wanted Elijah to know. Maybe the king isn't changed, maybe the queen isn't changed, but there are 7,000, Elijah, in this nation that have not yet bowed their knee to Baal. Learn how to celebrate the whisper. Let me end this time together. Verse number 15, and the Lord said to him, go return on your way, 
to the wilderness of Damascus. In other words, Elijah, get up from here. Time to get back to work. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king of Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you should anoint to be king of Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahoyla. I think that's how you pronounce his name, but he's not here to defend himself, so I'm just going to say that. <laughs> you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. What does God say to him? Same thing he says to us tonight. Get back to simple obedience. I don't know if Elijah was ready for another showdown with false prophets. I don't know if he was ready for another extraordinary ministry moment. That would come again. But when you're coming out of a season of discouragement, maybe the best thing you can do is just get back to simple obedience. Maybe you're not ready to go on some great missionary journey. But can you pray for somebody? God says to Elijah, don't forget, you're a prophet. So I want you to go find Haziel and just pray for him, anoint him as king. I want you to go find Jehu. Just pray for him. Go find Elisha and just pray for him. Maybe your discouragement has been deep and your soul has been weary. And I get it. Maybe you're not ready for something too extraordinary. But can you be somebody's intercessor? Can you have a Bible study with somebody? Can you be a friend to somebody who needs a sojourner? Not too complicated, but tonight I want to rekindle your fire. And I believe that it will be rekindled if you can just simply do the next obvious thing for the glory of God. Well, I hope this message did just that, that it rekindled your fire, that it helped you to see that God is at work in your life and that it reminded you that you and I have been called to live for the glory of God. Don't give up on your faith. It comes with great reward. Trust God because his hand is still upon you. And in spite of all that, uh, life is thrown your way in spite of the difficulties or the setbacks. If you continue to trust and obey the Lord, you'll be able to bounce back. Maybe you haven't put your faith in Jesus before at all. Today can be also the day of salvation for you as well. And if today you know you need a savior, you know you need forgiveness and to reconcile with Jesus, why don't you dial this number, 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. We'd love to wrap our arms around you as you take your next step in your journey of faith. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.